I'm really honored to get to be sharing with you guys this morning. It's um, a joy to get to step into the season of Advent and talk about the way that God has used really unexpected, um, maybe unqualified people woven into the story of the arrival of Jesus. Over the last few weeks, we've been telling these stories of these people who maybe uh, you wouldn't have expected to necessarily be involved in the arrival of Jesus, but they are called actually by name in his lineage. And so who they are and what God was doing in them and through them is, is very intentionally woven into Jesus's arrival. And this morning, we're gonna move into some of the actual like Christmas story with the, t- the story of Elizabeth. And we're gonna not just look at her story, but the story of kind of the stories that are happening around her as well. We're gonna look at the full story of God, like the one that starts in like chapter three of your Bible. We're gonna look at the story of the matriarchs of Israel. And we're gonna look at the story of the people of Israel and all of that is gonna take us up to Elizabeth. So very excited for what God has for us today. My hope is that um, God will really, as we go through all these stories, my hope is that God extends to you the invitation he has specifically for you this morning. I don't have like three points and something you should, like an application to take home. I, that's not what we're doing today. We're telling stories and looking for the way that God is speaking to each of us through the arrival of his son. So will you pray with me as we can posture ourselves and our hearts and our minds to receive from him this morning? <clears throat> God, uh, you, you are good. You are generous. You are... Um, you're faithful. And so this morning, God, we come to you with whatever it is that we each have our own stories we bring into the room. God, I pray that this morning you would give us the ability to entrust you with, with our stories, with where we are at, and to invite you to come and to like take hold of those things with us and for us. That we would be prepared and ready to respond and receive to what you highlight and to what you invite us into by reading your word and looking at the stories of faithfulness and goodness that you've extended to your people for so long. God, uh, would you meet with us today? In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in Advent. Advent is about waiting. Waiting is my least favorite thing in the whole entire universe. I like hate it with a fiery passion. Um, The only thing I hate more than waiting is like waiting wrongfully or like waiting without purpose like when you're at the DMV and there's like six lines and you have to discern which one you belong in and then you wait for your like four hours and you get there and they're like, oh, actually, you need your birth certificate, your mother, your father, and three cousins to be here when you do this for you to be able to get it done. And you just like waited for seven hours. Like that right there is pretty much when I need to like go just die because I'm not able to function the amount of rage that rises up in me in that moment. I hate waiting. So um, I'm not like trying to do this because like, oh, let me educate everybody. I'm doing this because me as a person, I need to know why I'm waiting. I need to be able to like get behind it and feel good about it. Otherwise, not going to be a happy Melissa. So we're going to look at why we're waiting. What is, when we talk about Advent, what are we really talking about? What are you waiting for? I think we sometimes think like Jesus is like page one of the story of God. He's like more than three-fourths of the way through it. <laughs> There's a lot that happens before Jesus gets here, and we, we have to step into that to appreciate how incredible and good it is when Jesus shows up. So we're gonna start that by looking at the full story of God. It starts in like chapter three of your Bible with the fall. Adam and Eve, they're in this beautiful garden. They have one rule. This, like the enemy comes, the serpent comes, deceives Eve. They break the rule, and God has some really strong words for 
the serpent, he says, there'll be enmity between you and the woman. And she will give birth to an offspring that will crush you. And you will strike his heel, but he will crush you. And so from that moment, we begin this waiting for the healing and renewal and redemption to come to make right what this serpent has made wrong, what the enemy has made wrong. The enemy has brought brokenness and sin and destruction into God's beautiful creation, and God says, I'm coming after you. It's coming. So that begins our story of waiting. We fast forward a few chapters, and we meet this guy, Abraham. Abraham and God have begun to have some conversations, and Abraham has been faithful and obedient, and God makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, I'm gonna take you to a new land. I'm going to bless you. I'm gonna make you the father of a great nation. I'm gonna actually bless the whole world through you. And Abraham is like, well, that sounds pretty cool. Thing is, got this wife, Sarah. We're both pretty old. Never been able to have kids. And you're talking about like making a great nation. Just wanna make sure you understand, like that's not really been our track record thus far. And God's like, I'm doing it, don't worry. Wait a few years, Sarah has a baby, Isaac. So Isaac marries Rebecca. God reaffirms this promise to Isaac. You will be a great nation. I'm gonna bless the world through you. I'm gonna like make you the father. Like I'm continuing what I'm doing. Rebecca also cannot have children. And God intervenes in Rebecca's body and she has twins. We have Jacob and Esau. God reaffirms this blessing to Jacob. He says, I'm gonna make you the father of this great nation. You are, I'm gonna bless the nations through your offspring. And both of Jacob's wives, he has two, both of them at different times cannot have children. And so You might think at this point in the story that you'd be like, God, if you want to build a nation, maybe you go to a family that's not having these kinds of problems (laughs) repeatedly, right? It's not like one, it's every single time. And so the first thing that we pick up about when God makes promises is that they are not hinged on what people can do. They are only hinged on what God can do. God's promises start with something you and I and Abraham and Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Leah and Jacob and Isaac that none of them can come up with except by relying on God. The model woman for the people of Israel is going to be marked by a total dependence on God. So, uh, Rachel and Leah do have children. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. His children are going to be called the tribes of Israel. These children are going to become the people of Israel. They are going to now begin this process of pursuing, following God. Ish. They're not good at it. They like mess up a lot, just like constant problems, nothing but problems. And God continues to reaffirm and like like double down on this promise. Even though you're unfaithful, I said I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. And he actually like sharpens and clarifies the picture of what these promises are. Because he said, I'm I'm gonna bless the nations through you. I also promise that like I'm coming to to overcome sin and death and destruction. It's gonna look this way. I, I made a covenant with Abraham. I'm gonna make a new covenant this, this salvation that's coming is going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be called God with us. There's going to be someone who actually comes ahead of him and prepares a way for him in the spirit of Elijah. That'll be relevant in a minute. That this Messiah who is coming, that he's going to be a suffering servant, but he's also going to be a king. He's going to bring justice and healing and renewal. And so we have pretty much the entire Old Testament is these prophets and these prophecies and these miracles and these signs that are like building and pointing towards God as promised that redemption, renewal, salvation is coming, that God is going to bless these people, the people of Israel, this blessing is coming. You've been in exile and enslaved. You're going to, like, you're, I'm, you're going to have justice. You're going to have a place where I've called you. You're going to be able to be who I've called you to be. It's coming. When we get to the, Old, the end of the Old Testament, 
and it's not here. And it's 400 years of quiet, of nothing. And we pick up after these 400 years in Luke's account with the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. So this is the waiting that we step into. Now, if you were with us for Advent last year, I spent like 16 minutes reading the book of Luke in the dark. So sorry. <laughs> Not going to do that again. Learned my lesson. Um, I'm just going to read a few verses from Luke 1, and I'm going to kind of cliff notes through the rest. So if you have your Bible, if you want to grab a Bible in front of you, it'll be up on the screen. Luke 1, we're going to start in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So pause right there. Luke stacks so much in just those few verses. One, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they are part of the nation of Israel. So they are, they are in this waiting. Because if they follow the decrees and the laws of God, they also know his promises. So they are holding out hope for some, someone coming that is going to save them, that is going to make a way for them, that is going to reconcile and redeem and renew them. They know that waiting. They're in it. In addition to that, if you look at verse 7, it says, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So not only are they living in the waiting, the longing of their people, Israel, but they wait in, they're like living in their own waiting because they long to have a child and are unable to. And they're very old. So it's been a lifetime of waiting and longing. So Zechariah one day is working in the temple and uh, an angel comes to him and says, Zechariah, good news, man. You're going to have a baby. Mazel tov. Like, not just any baby. This is a big one. Like, your baby's going to be the one that, like, says the Messiah is coming in the spirit of Elijah. Like, yeah. <laughs> This is not just like you've wanted a baby, you get a baby, but God also had this plan. The baby's like, the baby's part of the plan. Like, look at, like the angel's just like such a hype man. He's like, yeah, it's happening. And Zechariah, being a fairly reasonable, per reasonable person, is like, uh, are you sure? Because like, my wife's old. Like, we've kind of wanted this for a long time. It's never really happened. I, you know, like he's just trying to kind of feel the thing out. And Gabriel's response, the angel Gabriel's response is like my favorite thing in scripture. You can look at it, it's just a few verses later, but almost word for word, he's like, I'm Gabriel, I work for God. I told you what, I, what he told me to tell you. You don't get to talk anymore. <laughs> and that's it. And Zachariah does not, like he's not, he won't speak until after his son is born. I just think that's like genius writing, but not writing, but doing on the part of God and very well written by the part of Luke. But um, so this is, Zechariah's kind of response to what he gets. Elizabeth, on the other hand, Zechariah or Luke kind of fast forwards a little bit and we just, the next time we kind of hear from Elizabeth, she's five months pregnant. So that, that happened. And uh, what she says is the Lord has done this for me. I'm in verse 25. The Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among people. And again, there's just so much packed in this little verse because I think about Elizabeth who, like we said, she knows the story of her people. Even today, if, you're, um, if you are Jewish or you grew up in a Jewish home, the knowing the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's like knowing the Pledge of Allegiance. You just know it. Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's like your people. So for Sarah, she knows the stories, not just of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but of her matriarchs, of Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. And she knows that Sarah was an old woman and that God made a promise that she would have a child and that God miraculously like came through on that promise. 
And that because of that, like Elizabeth's here today. And so when she says, in these days, it's like one of these moments where we're like, God, I know you used to do those amazing miracles back then, but today, like in the olden days, you did those crazy, amazing things, but it's been 400 years and we haven't seen anything. And today I get to experience this. In these days, God is doing this incredible thing that like, what? Old ladies having babies, that happens still? Like, that's amazing. And we get to like see this like little peak of Elizabeth's like hope and her joy and like her belief. She's in the middle of her pregnancy. She hasn't seen this baby yet. They don't have sonograms or modern medicine. Like she's as much still waiting as she ever was. But it's like she bolsters her belief that God would do this thing to what she has seen him do for her ancestors, to her matriarchs and says, God has done this for me. He's removed my disgrace. Just like clinging to this belief that God will do what he says he will do. Meanwhile, her relative Mary is over having her own kind of crazy pregnancy story, which you probably know way more about. That's a whole other sermon. But the angel tells Mary, like, listen, your relative Elizabeth, she's actually six months pregnant. Like, for no word of the Lord will ever fail. Again, the angel's just like hyping it up. He's like, isn't it amazing? Everybody's having babies. Like, the moment is here. We've been waiting for 400 years. So we get into verse 39. It says, Mary gets ready in a hurry. She goes to the hill town in the country of Judea where she enters Zachariah's home and she greets Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. This is like the most pregnant moment in like total pun intended. Like the birth of so much promise is like right there. God promises, chapter three of the Bible, I'm gonna crush destruction. The fulfillment of that is in the room. God promises Abraham, I'm gonna make you the father of a great nation. I'm gonna bless the world through you. Literally, Abraham's descendants standing in the room about to fulfill that promise. A promise to the people of Israel, I will come for you. I will redeem you. The fulfillment of that is in the room. Elizabeth, I'm gonna give you a child. And your child is gonna be the one who's going to like announce and foretell that the Messiah has come. And from the womb, John the Baptist, like in utero, is like, the Messiah's here. Like, so much promise just like happening in this moment. It's insane. You should be more excited about that. It's very exciting. (laughs) Yeah, you can clap, guys. We're not good at the clapping, but you can clap. (laughs) There's a lot happening here. And this promise, all of these promises, they they point us to the fact that God's promises are a big part of this story. They are like the, they're like the engine of this story. And so we have to talk about God's promises. When we talk about promises, we have to realize that they don't happen in a vacuum. The reality is you do not need a promise for something you already have. Promises come when there is longing, pain, ache, need. It is into a broken, violated world that God promises that he is coming to make things right. It is to a family that would have otherwise disappeared that God promises legacy and blessing. It is to a people in and out of exile and enslavement that God promises justice and belonging. It is to a woman who's barren, who has had a lifetime of disgrace, that God promises a child. 
and like a, a justification. And so the reality is actually when we talk about promise, we have to talk about longing. And I know for some of us, when we talk about our longing, our ache, our need, there's like a knot in your chest that's already formed. Because you do live with longing. You know that ache. You wake up and it's there. You go to bed and it's there. Your longing, it's a part of you and it's a piece of you and it's, it's heavy. But maybe for some of you, longing doesn't, that, does, that idea doesn't resonate. You, you're like, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I mean, I have a good job. Like, I've got a roof over my head. I can't really, I live in a great city. I can't really complain. But if you are a person, you have longing. You came out of the womb with it. You came out of the womb longing to be cared for, to be fed, to be held, to have your diaper changed. You came out of the womb needing. It's a part of being a person. It actually is a part of what indicates to us that like we need help, that we are like finite beings that can't do this by ourselves. Longing is like a part of what makes you human. So if you can't put your finger on it. Let me like give you a few examples of things that I know I can resonate longing for. Maybe this will like jog your sense of longing. Um, maybe you long for a career that you feel passionately about. I just want to like participate and give to the world in a substantial way. And I, I want like, I'm so dissatisfied with what I'm doing. And I just, I long for something with more purpose and good. And I, I long for that. I ache for that. Maybe you long for success in what you're doing. The promotion, the title, just I want to, I just need to move down, like I need to continue growing in my role so that I can achieve and like be substantial in what I do. Maybe you long for community. I have spent years of my life longing for community. I moved across the country in an attempt to build my own community. I like wanted my life to be like friends. I just wanted to like walk into a room and everyone be like, Melissa's here. Like that doesn't happen. But sometimes, maybe at one point in my life it did. I, like, I longed for that. And there have been seasons where I've gotten to experience that, but there have been seasons where I have not. Where I, like, feel that total isolation and loneliness of just deeply desiring to have a place where I belong and have people around me. Maybe you long to be married, and you've waited faithfully, and you still just do not see how that's going to happen. Maybe you haven't waited faithfully, and you don't know if you deserve for that to happen. Maybe um, like these women that we've been talking about, you long to have a child. And you've tried to the, all the things, all the ways, and that longing just, it sits with you every day. Like, God, you, okay, you've done this so many times in the Bible. Like, in these days, like, okay, I'm ready. Why not, why not my family? These are real longings. They are heavy. They sit on us. We wake up with them. We go to sleep with them. We take them into the room with us. They're real. And, and they're not bad. They're not wrong. I think we might have this like really warped relationship to longing where we feel like we have to cut it off. Or you have to shut it down or you have to shut it up. Like God doesn't want, just be happy with what you've got. That's not God's posture. God longs. It, it says that he desires that no man should perish, that he longs to be with his people. If God longs, you're allowed to long. You're allowed to ache. You're allowed to feel. You're a person. It came with being a person. But but like this is, goes back to like our family of origin stuff, right? Maybe you grew up in a family where you didn't have a lot. And so for you to want more, that was like called selfish. Just be happy with what you have. We, like just, so you need to stop wanting more. 
Or maybe you grew up in like a family or in a tradition where longing was really tied to like your flesh. Longing became like synonymous with like sinful things, wrong things. And so you like kind of gotten the idea that any desire, any longing needed to be like shot down real quick. Don't let that grow. That'll be a, that'll be a monster later. Kill it now. Or maybe you've had longing, but frankly, you have just bared it for so long and it has become so overwhelming and exhausting to carry it that you have just given up on it and numbed it out. Because to continue to carry the weight of wanting or longing for this thing is too painful. It's just easier if I pretend I don't want it and maybe eventually I won't and then it'll leave me alone. Um, Longing is a a really vulnerable thing. It reveals us. And it it reveals not just like what we want, but it it reveals that we couldn't get it for ourselves. So it's a really vulnerable thing. I want this thing, and and if I tell you that I want this thing, or if I acknowledge even to myself that I want this thing, and then you know or I know, we both know that I don't have it, like what's wrong with me? Am I incompetent? Am I unlovable? Am I, like what's wrong with me that I don't have what I want? It's revealing. And so we've gotten, I think, in a a lot of the habit of shutting it down, numbing it out, cutting it off, because it is just far easier to deal with if it's not there. Kurt Thompson is a psychiatrist who writes really beautifully about um, our anatomy, our brain science, and how spirituality melds with those things. He's written a lot of things. If you can read anything by Kurt Thompson, read it. But recently, he wrote a book called The Soul of Desire. Highly recommend. Go read it. But when I read this line, I just, like, it... It jumped off the page to me. God does not destroy desire. Rather, he resurrects and renews it while using it to renew everything else beginning with us. God's not asking us to numb out or shut down our longing. He's inviting us to let him do something better with it. Our longing is a powerful force. Longing moves us. And if we look at the matriarchs, we can see the, one of the ways longing can move us, right? I very generously to the matriarchs moved quickly through their stories. But if you zoom in, those are not pretty stories. Sarah waited many years for God to come through on this promise to have a child. And in her desperation and her frustration, she told her maidservant to just sleep with her husband. And she was like, Abraham, just have a kid with her. Maybe that will please God. It didn't. Made a huge mess. A really heartbreaking one. But God was faithful to Sarah. Sarah would give birth to a child. Rebecca and uh, Isaac, similar story. God makes a promise as her twins are being born that the older will serve the younger. That's kind of like counter in that tradition. And you can read into their story. You can kind of read different angles into it. I have always read it into Rebecca doesn't believe that that is going to work out. So she manipulates her children and her husband to steal blessing for, for Jacob. She lies to her husband. It's like a, their stories are insane. Go read their stories. Jacob. His story is really insane. He has two wives. They are sisters whose father like tricks Jacob into marrying both of them. Super not healthy. And and Jacob only loves one of them. And so the other one has children. And like in jealousy for the love of her husband, they like are like manipulating each other, stealing. It's like, it's so sick. And like they torment one another and they both end up being able to have children eventually. But like, The longing of these matriarchs drove them to such desperation, to such control and like despair. But the other side of that is that longing can move us towards belief. 
Longing does not have to move us towards control. I want this thing, I need to make it happen. Longing can move us towards belief. Believe in God to do what he says he'll do. Last week, Jess made this really beautiful statement. She said, active waiting is vulnerable. And all week, that statement has kind of like haunted me. I'm like a very visual person. I need to like be able to wrap my mind around it. What is, act, like that sounds like a really good thing, active waiting, being vulnerable. I like that. I have no idea what to, how I like embody it. So like, God, give me, how do I do that? Like what does active waiting look like? And this is what I got. And I, I feel pretty good about it. Um, active waiting if you guys, if you don't understand baseball, this might be hard to follow, but you'll get it. Active waiting is a man at first, okay? If you are a man at first base playing baseball, you are not waiting on first base. No. You are like five feet off the base. I have to stay in my light. You are five feet off the base. <laughs> they asked me how far I was going to move, and I told them I wouldn't move past here, so... You are five feet off the base, which is over there, and you're not just standing there. You are like launched, ready to run, and you are watching the pitcher with like laser focus to see when the ball leaves that glove, because when the ball does, you are going to take off for a second. But it's not just active waiting. You're, you're believing that not only is the ball going to leave the pitcher's glove, it's going to get hit by your teammate out into the outfield, and you're not just going to go to second. You're going to round second and move on to third, maybe even pass third to home. Active waiting is believing. Believing is really vulnerable because the reality is from five feet off base, you can get thrown out. All of your eggs are in this basket moving towards second and the pitcher can just in a split second decide he's throwing to first. And if the ball beats you there, it's over. Believing is a really vulnerable thing. It stands to make us look like a fool. I don't know, like being a really old woman saying you're having a baby. <laughs> believing is a scary thing. It requires us to let go of control and what we can like make sense of and to say that something bigger, stronger, better than me is the one running this. This is where we have to be really careful though because our tendency might be to conflate God's promises with our longing. And it was hard for me this week to figure out, God, like what is the relationship of my longing to your promise to believe? How do these like cog together to all work together? Because I, I know they do. I just can't figure out quite how. And here's, here's what I think is how it works. We stand in our longing. God has promised us something. God has promised you something. God's actually promised you a lot. I don't know all of what he's promised you. I know a lot though of what he's promised you because it's in his word. And I'm gonna throw up some basic things, some of the things God has promised you. And you might think this is really cheesy. That's a very silly thing to think. I was gonna say stupid. I said that during first service, but I thought that might not be nice. That is, <laughs> first service, I'm sorry. Um, if you think this is childish or cheesy, why are you here? This is who your God is. These are the things we live into. If these aren't true, if we don't cling to these, I, I, what are you clinging to? So here are some of the things that God has promised you. One, God has promised you that what he has started in you, he will never give up on. He's going to continue it until you die. That's his promise to you. Two, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Three, God has promised you a life that is abundant and full. God's promised you that, a full life. That's a pretty good promise. God has promised you that nothing can separate you from his love. Not your failure, 
not anything else outside of you. Nothing can separate you from his love. God has promised you, if you're a follower of Jesus, his personal and empowering presence by his spirit. You have the power of God inside you. It's a pretty big promise. God has promised you that he is trustworthy and that he keeps promises he makes. God has promised you that his grace is enough for you. So I don't, I don't know what else God has promised you, but I know that in your longing, those promises serve as guardrails or like a rope that pull us towards believing that God is with us in our longing, moving us towards what he is up to. It's like Elizabeth saying, God, in these, I know you used to do this then, but in these days that you would do this for me, it's like she's looking back and saying like, God, you did this for Sarah, I'm gonna believe that you can do this for me. This is why in the Old Testament we see this refrain a lot, the God who delivered us out of Egypt. God even says it about himself, I am the God who delivered you out of Egypt. It's like God saying, look at my track record. I'm, I do what I say I'll do. Our longing doesn't necessarily mean that that's what God's doing, but our longing can be entrusted to him who has promised good for your life, to him who has promised you a full life, to him who's promised to be with you in that longing. It strikes me that God's promises are really not about getting what we want, but about being met in what we need. I don't know what your longing is for. I know what my longing is for. Some of those things I've experienced God meeting me in or God like, like answering yes to those things. Some of those things I have not experienced God saying yes to those things. In both of them, I have been able to be held by and met by God in my longing. That is God's promise to you. That he can be trusted with what we long for. And that he can meet us there, comfort us there, be a friend to us there. And that what he is doing beyond us, greater than us, the story he's telling outside of us, that our longing can be renewed, resurrected, and like participate with that. Elizabeth didn't just give birth to a child she waited for, she gave birth to a child her generations were waiting for. Um, there's just, as I'm starting, as we start Start to land the plane. I want to bring your attention to one other thing. One of the last things Elizabeth says in the portion we read, I've, never, I've read this account many times. I think I literally read it last year during Advent out loud to everyone for 16 minutes. Apologies again. Um, but this verse has just, it didn't jump out to me until this, this preparing for this. In verse 40, Elizabeth says, Blessed is she who believed God would fulfill his promises to her. Elizabeth said that before she saw her promise come to fruition. She did not have John in her arms. She was a very old woman giving birth, like in, in her fifth month of pregnancy. She was halfway through the waiting of that. And her, her words are, there is blessing for she who believes that when God says he'll do something, he will. And that's, that's a promise for us, that there is blessing for he who believes that God will fulfill his promises to him. For you who believes that God will fulfill his promises to you. That might not mean getting what you want. It absolutely means not wanting, longing, alone, or without hope or belief that God sees you, hears you, is coming in on your behalf. This is the story of Advent. 
That after 400 years of, of quiet, of waiting, of not knowing what God was doing, God showed up. He came for us, not with a solution to all our problems, as a tiny little baby. And it would take some time before we knew what that, like how that would all unfold. He waits with us. He sees our longing. He doesn't ask us to cut it off or to shut it down. He holds it with us. I, I've pictured myself before like a little kid, like little baby Melissa with like an empty jar walking up to God and saying, can you fill this? I have wanted this thing for so long and I, I just, I can't, I can't, I've tried to fill it. I can't. Can you, can you hold it for me so I don't have to keep holding it and bearing the load of it? Will you hold it with me? And God, like a good father, like holding that with us. And in his time and in his way, filling it up better than we ever could ourselves. That is what belief and longing looks like. That God can be entrusted with our desire. That he can be entrusted with our hope and our dream, our dreams, the things that we long for. He, he knows them. He can bear them with us.